Welcome to From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. I'm Matt Rienzo, here with Mark Weller. Mark, welcome. Hey, good to see you, Matt. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. We're also joined by guest host Steve Siegel. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing great. Glad to be here. Well, our guest today is the ultra-successful and I think the quintessential entrepreneur, Scott Plank. Uh, amazing guy. He's got his hands in a little bit of everything. Uh, we look forward to hearing about how he thinks all those issues are going to pan out in the context of the Reston community in general. So it's going to be an interesting topic, to be sure. Uh, we're going to talk predominantly about Reston, Virginia, the community surrounding Reston National Golf Course. Uh, what do you guys think, Mark and Steve? Are you excited about this conversation? Oh, yeah. This is, uh, this is going to be a, a great chat today. Well, let's jump right in. Mark and Scott, um, well, first and foremost, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mark and Scott, you both, through Weller Development Company and Warhorse Cities, bought Reston National Golf Course back in 2019. Talk about that and what was the driving force behind that, what you were thinking about when you took it over a few years ago, and why this golf course purchase was appealing to you. Yeah, thank you. Of course, my background is city planning, architecture, and uh, I consider myself uh, very much of an urbanist and, a, and studying uh, how people live in their environments and, you know, how we build different places for people. And um, I spent a lot of my time working in cities, so Baltimore City, San Francisco, New York, College Park, Maryland, learning about different places and different things. And um, the opportunity to do work um, in Reston, Virginia is almost a bit of a dream to me because of the planned community. Um, and, and frankly, because of the, the principles of what Reston stands for, is extremely unique in, in, in the country. Uh, so as a person with a planning background and interest in that, you know, frankly, Bob Simon being a, very much of a hero of mine, um, and Bob Simon being also a, a person, a, a man who came from, you know, deep urban development in New York City and, you know, thought of all the things that he wanted to do and said, well, I, I'm actually going to have to go out to find, uh, you know, thousands of acres in an empty spot that nobody's thinking much about uh, to execute my opportunity and my idea. Yeah, well, in the, in the simplest of terms, there was 168 acres that I think is underutilized, but it's very beautiful. Uh, between two metros, the advancement of the metro system in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area has taken over 40 years, and uh, it's finally there. And I think being able to have that opportunity inside a planned community that is um, as incredible as Reston was unique and a one-time opportunity that I don't think we would ever get a chance to see again. So regardless of what happens or what goes on in the future, I certainly stand by the fact that the piece of land is one of the most incredible pieces of land in the entire Washington metropolitan area. Over the last 50 years, you know, since the early 60s, the 1960s when Bob Simon visioned Reston, to the 1980s when I was a young person growing up in Northern Virginia, Reston and that toll road area has just completely transformed to another city that exists from a blank slate in the 60s that Bob Simon uh, contemplated, you know, building a, a vision of a community there. And, and when you go through Reston now with people who haven't been in a while, they're blown away by the development there and how, how amazing it is. And you've got Google there and you've got Oracle and you've got all these amazing companies moving there. And it's just it's such a hotbed. Um, you know, and, and this is a golf course that sits, uh, like you said, between two metros. So let's talk about that first and foremost. Both of you are entrep serial entrepreneurs, I'll call you. Um, you own a lot of different businesses, all very successful businesses. How is owning a golf course similar or different from some of those other endeavors that you've you know, participated in over the years? I actually find it to be uh, very similar to some of the other businesses, except the business is golf. 
And I think the uh, one of the things that I find most exciting about it is our sort of our, our, our canvas is a beautiful green space that's open and that uh, is, is, is very natural. And I find that that, uh, that opportunity to do things like improve on that green space and improve in what we're doing out there is, is really where the opportunity and the excitement lies for me every day. Yeah, I think um, I'd add that uh, from Mark's perspective, uh, so I'm very fortunate to have uh, worked in a company for 20 years that sports was everything we did and understanding the athlete um, and coming at it from, uh, you know, an athletic aspect of it. But frankly, I'm, I'm one of the non-golfers who owns a golf course. And um, I, I consider that uh, similar to other uh, investments or areas I get involved in because it gives me a chance to come with a beginner's mind mm-hmm. and, and approach this not as a you know, I've been to this golf course, that golf course, and that's how I look at it. I'm, I'm very much looking at it as this is a community amenity. Um, it's an activation, and how do we bring people there? And then, candidly, I look at it as it's an enormous piece of land that uh, could benefit far more than just golfers. And you mentioned, uh, you know, some of the things that you've been doing at the course. Talk about the improvements um, to not only the golf course but to the clubhouse and just some of the things you're doing uh, that people might want to know about. Sure. Well, I think uh, Mark and I both expressed um, first seeing that, you know, a couple of years ago, walking through it and having a really hard time understanding how this is the heart and central of uh, Reston, Virginia, which other aspects of Reston, you think of, you know, Reston during pandemic was one of the fastest, hottest um, office markets in the United States. Um, when you have the metro, you're, you know, 15 minutes to Tyson's and you're 15 minutes to the airport. We thought to ourselves, well, how could this clubhouse have been so forgotten? How did this driving range uh, not cater to what is a, you know, modern look and feel of a driving range? Um, And then I thought about it as, you know, and this crossroad location is so incredible. There must be opportunities here that we can bring, again, more than just golfers to use this tremendous, tremendous private golf course. So Scott, let's, um, let's, let's unpack the history here and talk a little bit about the history of rest and talk a little bit about what you know, Bob Simon saw and, and what his vision was um, for Reston as a community. And then what happened, you know, as well when golf came in and why the course was built and that sort of thing. So my, my perspective on this comes back to, again, I didn't grow up in Reston. I'm first to admit that my father was a developer in Northern Virginia. So I spent a ton of time in Northern Virginia. I built houses in Northern Virginia myself by hand. Um, but um, it really was in college when I learned about Bob Simon and planned communities of Columbia and uh, several others. And I became just enamored and excited about that. Uh, a great deal of my career at Warhorse Cities has been working in cities and building both the highest end apartment building in Baltimore City, one of the, high, the, one of the highest end um, uh, hotels called the Sagamore Pendry in the United States in general, uh, but also working uh, in West Baltimore buying shell townhouses and turning them into, you know, beautiful places where people live and raise children, um, bringing um, also to Baltimore, you know, being very expensive restaurants, um, but also bringing a food hall um, and bringing, uh, you know, opportunity uh, to have a, a public market. So when I began learning about uh, the opportunity for Reston National Golf Course, I began learning about the opportunity uh, of the Bob Simon vision. And again, as I said, I, I found it just the, just an incredible, uh, inspiration to find another person who'd come from an urban environment and found that there's so many opportunities in an urban environment to bring them 
to a suburban environment. And uh, I would say the principal tenet to me of, of Reston is uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, and diversity and inclusion uh, with types of people, certainly, whether it's uh, immigrants or African-American, it's, it's also diversion and inclusion requires then that, that we as community builders recognize that there are people of all different you know, uh, levels of pay. So, you know, just like in a city where I would build a really nice apartment building, I would also feel compelled that I want to build uh, affordable housing. Um, you know, again, you guys may know that I worked at Freddie Mac for five years and uh, just down the street from Reston and McLean, uh, where I spent five years uh, financing and uh, providing the opportunity to build thousands and thousands of affordable apartment units. So for me, I looked at uh, the Bob Simon vision as just a kismet opportunity for me to jump in. One thing that I always uh, appreciated about Scott was this philosophy on land and derelict land to some degree. And, um, you know, I think uh, Reston to some degree when we took it over could have been declared derelict. I mean, the, the, the clubhouse, the condition of the course and other things. And well, well, it was usable and it was playable. I think we thought the first thing we really wanted to do was improve on that and make sure that it was taken care of. Yeah, and Reston, you know, Reston's almost 60 years old at this point. This course was built, you know, around that, that uh, in the late 60s. Um, and, you know, there was a, a transfer to uh, Gulf Oil from Bob Simon, um, really in the early stages of his execution. And I think a lot of people take for granted that this golf course was part of the master plan. Um, and, you know, as it turns out, if you look back in history, it's clear that the rest and master plan was actually adopted after the golf course was built. It was built by these oil company, you know, this oil company. And, you know, um, part of Bob's vision was to include village centers, you know, throughout the rest and community. And there's actually a village center on his master plan sitting right where the clubhouse is today. Yeah. His 1962 master plan has a village center plopped right on the West side of the course. And then he also has, designated open space surrounding that village center, which is no longer the case because obviously we all know that the golf course is not open space. Yeah. So, so Scott, what do you, what do you think when you hear that and, and like the opportunity, for example, to sort of finish Bob Simon's vision and round it out in South Reston? Cause there's quite a bit missing in South Reston now these days. And it, it just seems like it's sort of incomplete. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, bringing up a great point. So I spent both my career and then just general super curiosity always about, you know, why cities are the way they are. And um, um, I think it's very important that we recognize that the reason cities are the way they are may be very, very outmoded. Um, you know, Baltimore City, there's countless books written in all cities of the extraordinary level of racism that goes into uh, coordinating land use. Mm -hmm. Um, extraordinary level of division intended with um, land use, certain land use. So, you know, Bob Simon's vision to me was, you know, pure and interesting from the beginning. And then, you know, through a series of, of uh, aspects, not the least of which was redlining, where he couldn't sell houses in Reston, Virginia. Um, uh, and then also uh, where zoning laws uh, prohibited from him from, from building units that were either too small or too dense. So, um, and the third piece would be uh, the uh, Reston golf course is effectively, it's an extremely effective barrier between south and north. 
it's an extremely effective barrier because South Reston, great parts of that South Reston are uh, primarily uh, African-American and less, less wealthy. So um, when I began to look at that, I read several books that are readily available around uh, new towns and new cities. And uh, the other thing you learn very quickly about Bob Simon, this is a man who um, came from the arts and real estate community in, in New York City. Bob Simon did not play golf. So Bob Simon's you know, partners thought that golf would be a great idea to sell wealthy people um, single-family homes. Um, and then, of course, Bob Simon's great vision, because of things like uh, lack of um, uh, rigor in, in the state of Virginia around uh, housing law, fair housing laws. So the Fair Housing Act was not adopted by the state of Virginia for five years after its adoption in 1968 by the government of the United States. So that was around the time Bob was trying to create this um, idyllic, um, diverse and um, uh, neighborhood for both diversity around, again, around size of houses, size of lots, who would live there, selling to African-Americans, which was a redlined um, uh, un in inability to do. So um, he eventually lost control of the golf course. And, um, uh, you know, his, he lost control of the golf course to golf oil, who then became mobile oil. And so who were they catering to? Their executives. So you have this, uh -huh. this opportunity, you have a, a golf course that has tremendous amount of single family homes around it that uh, were not designed and built by Bob Simon's vision. They were created uh, around this open space and division. So um, I, 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 you can imagine, I have a lot more to say about it than that, but uh, it's one of the opportunities, as you said, to, um, to move forward from that past into a place where we recognize that diversity means affordable housing, it means different scale of housing, it means density, and it means uh, transit-oriented development. So you said something that we touched on you know, a couple minutes ago, um, but it's the misconception among some in the community that the golf course is in fact open space to be used by the neighbors as they see fit. Um, if you go out there on a particular day, you'll see people walking across the fairways with bags of groceries while people are teeing off or talking on their cell phones next to the tee boxes or next to the greens. And it, the fact of the matter is it's not open space. You, there are people who pay to use it to play golf and people who use it as open space are actually trespassing and uh, creating problems for the paying customer. And so talk about that and how Reston you know, and the golf course in particular could definitely aid Reston in the quest to preserve or improve open space for the entire community. Thank you. So again, getting back to my process, um, not living in Reston and recognizing that the first thing that I did is I spent a tremendous amount of time, probably a year, year and a half of talking to people in the community, talking to people um, in um, Reston Community Center at uh, Cornerstones, uh, engaging with the community in ways that we're very good at working with cornerstones, uh, particularly during pandemic, um, and uh, talking to golfers, talking to um, you know the supervisor, talking to uh, the parks and recs people uh, to understand uh, why it is as it is, but also recognizing that one of the things that I learned, my probably my number one takeaway was that the people. Uh, at, say, Reston Community Center and other places in, in South Reston, they fundamentally did not believe that they had a say in what happens with that land. And I fundamentally disagree with that. Um, one of the first things we did is build a relationship with Cornerstones so that they could use uh, the clubhouse uh, for fundraisers. 
another thing we did was work with uh, Reston Community Center. So the Reston Community Center is taking uh, this summer, and they're bringing students to Reston National Golf Course at our invitation uh, to spend time learning about uh, naturalism, learning about conservation, learning about pollinators. The environmental intern squad, I think is what you're calling them. Yeah, and I think what's important is that we recognize that the golf course, while it is a private golf course, uh, my entire career has been spent working with people to understand what the what the group is might maybe looking for and not a small group and not necessarily the people that have been there forever but recognizing that the job of the developer is to speak for the people who aren't there yet but who would love to live there who would love to engage uh, the job for the developer is to think about you know uh, where are your kids going to live where are my kids going to live where are my grandkids going to live and how are they going to have an exciting and affordable place yeah, so, so adding on to something you said earlier, you know, you mentioned the barrier with respect to, you know, from a social equity perspective. Um, I think, you know, as the live, work, play experience has evolved over time and have, and, and, and since this golf course uh, was built and, you know, there's been sort of this trend towards obsolescence of an 18-hole golf course in general, you know, this this has created, it seems, a number of other uh, barriers. It's sort of crippled the ability of uh, of many to connect to transit. You know, the pathways and and trails uh, are also you know basically obsolete. And so, you know, it seems that there's an opportunity here to change the use of this course and to make it more applicable and more relevant to the demands of the community today and the needs of the community today. Um, and really. You know, being able to do that and color inside the lines, if you will, of Bob Simon's principles makes a lot of sense and presents a huge opportunity. And I know that, that um, you know, you've approached this, this opportunity um, using experts, um, studying the uh, availability of amenities, for example, the connectivity to transit, the, um, the social equity aspects of it with respect to affordable housing and, and the lack thereof in, in Reston. Uh, but you know, this has also sort of stymied the um, the ability to really develop what South Reston should be relative to what Bob Simon's vision was. And, and so it seems that all arrows and, and thinking points to points to rethinking what this course should be going forward and for the next 50 years. Just playing off some of the research that the team has done, um, and some of the conclusions that have been drawn from that research, you know, maybe we, we speak a little bit about what the future of the course could be and how this land could be utilized, you know, improve the quality of life, improve the live, work, play experience, and, you know, to address the environmental decline uh, and so on to, you know, again, improve the quality of life and most likely the home values of the people living around the course. So as I, again, thinking about the land and the tremendous opportunity to have such a giant piece of land within, you know, transit oriented development, a couple of blocks from uh, subways that we've, we as a, we as a both community, whether it's your Reston or the state of Virginia or, you know, the federal government have invested enormous amount of money in transit and transit is the most sustainable transportation we can, we can imagine. And then, of course, again, convening people around an idea. So as I look at this land, we recognize, of course, like 178 acres, you don't need that much land to build the affordable housing we need. So think of all the other opportunities there that you could do. 
So one of the things I began really spending time on was uh, focused on other naturalist areas. There's a, a Meadowlark Botanical Garden, uh, also in Northern Virginia. One of my favorite places at the Smithsonian Pollinator Garden in downtown D.C. and Longwood Gardens um, in, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, west of Philly. These are places where the community has decided that we're going to take a huge piece of land and we're going to restore that land to what it was before. Um, uh, people often, you know, when you think about land use, people often have a, oh, well, uh, you, you're, not, you're not being loyal to the master plan. Like, what, I don't know, what, what was before the master plan? So in this environment, um, there was a master plan by Bob Simon, which then became the master plan by Gulf Oil and Mobile Oil. Um, but before that, it was um, owned by a family that was a farmer who then uh, created a distillery. And before that, it was Native Americans. And before that, it was dinosaurs. So where do we take this? Um, and then recognizing that we have a lot of needs for land beyond just affordability. And the land that we have there connects incredibly well to what I would call the archipelago of, of Reston, Virginia's open space. That open space being uh, recognized by the Smithsonian, recognized by the Audubon Society as one of the greatest um, naturalist locations for pollinators, for birds, um, and we can connect to that because we already do connect to that. So one of the first things we did also as community collaboration was engage with the community. How many people would like to see pollinator gardens there and could we do that together? So Warhorse City's Well Development, uh, Mark, myself, um, everybody at this table, we would spend time uh, working with uh, Reston Association and others and, and start thinking about how do we build that. We've built acres and acres of pollinator gardens to, rec to, to demonstrate that it doesn't have to be a golf course. It can be something else. We put in beehives, recognizing that pollinators are the challenging thing here. We put in butterfly gardens for monarchs because we all recognize that monarch butterflies are one of the most important keys to a healthy um, uh, naturalist environment. So what we've continued to try to show or what we've continued to work with the community on is alternative ways to look at the land to just a golf course, which is by far and away the most exclusive environmentally taxing um, and private use you can have of any land. And non-inclusive whatsoever. Yes. Really what you're describing here, you know, when you talk about restoration of natural habitat and preservation of natural habitat is a conservancy. You're really talking about, you know, taking a, a big swath of this land perhaps and, and turning it into, uh, you know, a, a, a natural conservancy. Um, and there's lots of examples, a couple of which you just mentioned. And there's, there's one out in Loudoun County called Willowsford, which is also, um, you know, very similar and, uh, you know, I think some of the research that you've done shows that if you were to take this land and position it in that way and, and restore the ecology and, and the environment and so on, that it actually brings value to people's homes. It not only improves their lifestyle, their connectivity, uh, their access to trails and, you know, recreational amenities. And preserves views as well. Preserves and views, yeah, sure. And it, it, it's going to be accretive to everybody from a lifestyle and a value perspective. So I think, I think you're spot on, and I think it accomplishes two really important goals, and that's really thoughtful, low-intensity development combined with a conservancy or some kind of restoration back to nature. When you put the two of those together in a strategically located 
place like this between two metros, 168 acres, you're talking about something much more in line with what Bob Simon had intended. And I think certainly, uh, certainly something that I think he would enjoy. Absolutely. And the open space opportunity, currently private recreation space is how it's characterized um, in the comprehensive plan, turning it into publicly accessible, permanently publicly accessible open space with a restored environment makes all the sense in the world. And, you know, when you add on to that, all of the intensity that's coming um, in, you know, the future planning efforts in Reston around the, the, the transit stations, there's tens of millions of square feet being planned. You're going to, you're going to have a really hard time. The County will, you know, in achieving its open space goals um, around those, you know, those development areas. So having an opportunity with a, a willing owner to participate in dialogue around repositioning this property for the long-term benefit of all of Reston, um, I think is a tremendous opportunity for the county and the, and the community at large. I think one of the things to point out here as well is how great it would be to return this land to public use so that when, when the local community was actually out using it, they weren't technically trespassing. And in fact, allow them to use this property legally in perpetuity. I think that that would be one of the greatest accomplishments that we could give back um, to all of what we're working on out there. Yeah, I mean, the, the market research is diagnostic, right? You see people walking their dogs in the middle of the day or walking around all over the golf course and, you know, using it as as if it was publicly available open space, I think is very, um, very telling. And, and uh, you know, doing something like this, um, even, you know, adding to it a linear park, for example, to buffer, you know, what, what Mark is talking about with respect to maybe some amenities that, um, that don't exist today, uh, retail amenities, um, you know, access to medical services and other convenience retail, um, the opportunity to, uh, to do all of that here, um, presents itself very clearly. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's long overdue. Yeah. I want to, I want to jump on something that Mark said, which is, um, as the guys running the golf course and, um, we're very, very good at data analytics around running retail, et cetera. So less than uh, 15% of the people that play golf at the Reston national golf course live in Reston. So what is the real benefit of that land? It's maybe it's to the people who live right on it, but if you live one house off, Reston National Golf Course, you don't see the open space. Um, so I, I personally think that um, it's important that we revisit uh, land use across the board, which we're doing in all aspects of the United States now. Um, and in this case, we, reuse it, we look at it and say, there's actually not a lack of golf in uh, Fairfax County. In fact, I think there's eight golf courses, one of which has just been renovated um, so if, if, if Reston National Golf Course was not there, how many more golfers would go to Fairfax County public golf courses? And then how much tax revenue are we going to generate um, at the Reston National Golf Course? And then again, Bob Simon's vision of um, a multicultural, um, uh, different levels of affordability living. Um, and I, I agree that I don't know as a country, and I study this and look at it all the time, working to build affordable housing in different areas, I don't know what the plan is if we don't take something and repurpose it. So you've, you know, these are 
you know, a lot of great ideas and awesome conversation. And we, we've talked about a bunch of stuff. So let me just try and wrap it all up a little bit. We talked about a conservancy. Um, we talked about a linear park um, to create an experience and a connector um, through that conservancy. Uh, you talked about a, a village center, uh, Steve Siegel, um, and, and everything that might have to offer. And then, you know, the conservancy in essence becomes permanent open space. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And it becomes, you know, the, the vast majority of the land out there could be conservancy. So you'd have a very small component where you might have, you know, the ability to fully implement and realize Bob Simon's initial vision, which is putting in a, a, a creating a, a, you know, a neighborhood scale village center in the place that he planned it. It was planned there for a reason. And although I don't know that he had the foresight to know that there are going to be two metro stations there, um, it makes a lot of sense from an infrastructure perspective to place the village center there as well. You, you'd be closest to transit, um, closest to existing infrastructure and so on. And I think that's, that's really important to consider from a planning perspective as well. Without a doubt. And so you talked uh, in generalities a large portion of the course. So it's 168 acres, plus or minus, you know, we're not going to hold you to the number, but what is a, how big is a conservancy if the golf course is 168 acres? Yeah, I think it'd be plus or minus 100 acres you know, of, of conservancy, which is a, a, a vast open space in the, you know, in a, an urban context like Reston. Um, so you really have a, a, you know, a really big opportunity here to, um, you know, to again position Reston for the future. Talk about some of the elements that are in that conservancy. As people were to stroll through it upon its completion, what are they going to see there? What could be there, I guess? I think a lot of the things that Scott mentioned, um, you know, restoration of just natural habitat, uh, pollinator gardens, um, meadows, restoring a lot of the, you know, the natural um, fauna and, and uh, you know, eliminate the invasive species and get rid of a lot of that environmental decline. You can then have an opportunity to restore, you know, everything that's there um, and create you know, recreational opportunities as well, concerts, art and culture, um, and so on can, you know, be intertwined into that fabric. All sorts of gardens and, you know, event areas and, you know, areas for people to just utilize the land in various ways that meets their needs. The idea is to have a world-class conservancy or a world-class open space and park for all the community to use. Something that's talked about all across Washington, and it's, it's one of the things that they want to hit. Maybe they want to hit, you know, the, uh, the the various museums downtown, and then maybe they want to hit the Conservancy in Reston just to see what urban planning, really thoughtful urban planning can be. That's great. So, Scott, let, let's pivot back to you. You know, we talked about a village center. You know, in Bob Simon's mind and in your mind, uh, what does a village center mean in this context? Again, as we looked at this opportunity and we looked at the facility that we have, we have this clubhouse that candidly was built. Never, I don't think they ever thought it was going to be there. It has telephone poles as uh, um, beams in the, in the, in the center. <laughs> um, so first thing we did was uh, again, talk to the community um, and uh, learned a lot about that. There's not an opportunity in that neighborhood to go to a good restaurant or, um, you know, spend a time outside. So first thing we did is we began renovating the interior um, and we began working on the driving range, thinking those are the most publicly accessible, exciting things to do. Maybe you don't have time to play, you know, 18 holes, but you can get out with your friends and drive some balls. 
lot of great examples of that with Top Golf um, and others where it's an arts and entertainment area. So the next thing we did is we began um, advertising and engaging with the community to bring people to the golf course for events. So non-golf events. So when we think about, as I've done in my career, and I know Mark and uh, you and uh, World Development have done in their careers, is building uh, beautiful spaces. We talked about building hotels. We've also built food halls, you know. And in College Park, Maryland, uh, at the University of Maryland, I built, uh, which is running now because the university was building a, a thing they called the Discovery District. But the Discovery District didn't have an identity, and it didn't have what I would call the heart and that heart of the Discovery District is now what we call the Hall. And it was a, uh, another project that I built that's similar to what I did in Baltimore City as well as in San Francisco. And that becomes the, the beating heart of the community, bringing people together. Um, you know, in, in our location, we don't have parking issues. We make it real easy to get to. So I'd say the first thing we did was how do we bring more people and invite more people to the golf course and maybe those people who thought they were never invited before. And I think one of the most important things to look at in any community is walkability. And I think today's metrics of a walkability score are used on a regular basis and are really important. There's something that Scott and I always look at and consider as we knew, as we do new projects and consider what should or could be done with what you have. Some communities aren't as fortunate and they don't have the level of public transport that Reston has, especially now with two metro stops. And I think that when you don't have that, you're very limited in your walkability and you're very limited in your ability to bring people to the site with ease and convenience um, in a low environmental impact fashion, which is really, really not the case in Reston because of the new, the new metros that have opened up. Yeah, and I think also what you've experienced too is that the golf course in its current condition with you know customers paying to play has become a barrier to that walkability. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, if you create a linear park that goes north-south, if 100 acres of the 168 acres is an actual conservancy that's available for open space for people to use as they see fit within the rules, of course, that just opens up a world of walkability for the neighbors on the golf course currently. Yeah, you would have, you know, a lot of new trails in this conservancy that would be planned to, you know, to achieve that connectivity to transit, to uh, the walkability to the public amenities, as well as the retail amenities in, you know, in any village center that's built. Um, right now, it's a barrier. It, it really blocks the ability to do all of that. There's very limited trail, you know, trail access. Um, there's only one trail really through the course. And uh, repositioning the, the course this way would would alleviate and solve for all of those issues. Yeah, I mean, you're exploring, uh, you know, Fairfax County is doing other exploration of autonomous vehicles driving people from uh, to, to public transportation. This is the most tremendous opportunity to do that is bring uh, from, um, you know, South, South Reston. Um, you can get people to the subway without having to drive, whereas currently you'd either have to take a bus or drive, both in unsustainable. So... When we think about opening up to uh, the public access from what is now private, there seems to there could be tremendous amount of connectivity that we could create uh, that doesn't exist today um, for bike trails, autonomous vehicle trails, all of these things that are coming, and we should be getting prepared for. And what Mark was talking about earlier is really important. It's it's critical 
walk scores are, uh, you know, an objective measure of your walkability to amenities, to transit, um, to retail and so on. And the higher your walk score, generally the higher your property value. Um, and if you look at, you know, properties, for example, in, in Northwest and North of the toll road, you've got the town center, of course, and, um, other development that's happening there that was catalyzed by the town center, you know, being there, the people there enjoy a lot of amenities that are walkable and they enjoy high walk scores and they enjoy higher property values. And, you know, to have an opportunity to complete Bob Simon's vision here and to develop this land the way it really should have been uh, done years ago um, is a huge opportunity and it will translate to higher property values, better walkability, better connectivity, access to transit, higher walk scores. And if you want to learn about walk scores, you can go to walkscore.com. Um, they, they have uh, a lot of information there. And, and um, you know, there's also been a lot of research done uh, by the study group. Yeah, a lot website. of that information. So if you just Google Reston National Neighborhood Study Group, you can you know, find the website and all that information is readily available. You know, we talked about the experts that we um, have brought in uh, to study the amenities and to study the walkability and to study the invasive species and the environment and all these different groups of experts that we've brought in. I think the end game is that, you know, we're really analyzing the quality of life and we're analyzing the home values. And, And it's our opinion that some of these things that we're talking about should improve the quality of life for the residents and it should improve home values. Again, our job is always engagement, which which we've tried very hard to work on. Pandemic put a wrinkle in everybody's in-person engagement, but during pandemic, we took the other side of the we took the other side of the coin, and we began to uh, work with cornerstones to have uh, activity there. So for us, it was always about the activity. When I, when I think about um, uh, making change and what we do as developers or entrepreneurs or innovators is always about that. So uh, it's never about jamming something through. It's always about collaboration and engagement. You know the the opinion of the of the the community and how they feel about things, the status quo. Talk about that for a second. Sure, I, you know I think a lot of people, like we talked about, take for granted that this is their public open space, um, and in, in reality, it's a private pay to play golf course. Um, it's sixty years old. It's in decline. It has been for years. the um, The environmental effects of the golf course are clear. Uh, the invasive species have been eating away at the tree canopy. Um, the trees are dying. The trees are dying, yeah, and, and there's chainsaws all over the place. So it's it's obvious um, that something needs to change. And uh, the status quo is not sustainable. And there's just no way to continue to operate this golf course um, as an 18-hole golf course in the long term. Uh, and... You know, I think from the beginning, it's always been contemplated that there are alternatives. Um, this, we feel, is the best alternative uh, to to repositioning this golf course. Um, but there are, you know, existing property rights as well that are in place. And the initial thinking was um, to, you know, to leverage those existing rights and reposition this course uh, to... Um, you know, to at least be more uh, relevant and um, to take, you know, that functional obsolescence of an 18-hole golf course uh, to a different level. Steve, I think it, 
again, consistent with my, my vision is that we're going to take what is a private golf course used by barely 10% of people in Reston to a public amenity. That's what I get most excited about, why I've joined this project, wanted to get involved in it, um, as well as the opportunity to, to create uh, housing, which is desperately needed for workforce. So for teachers, for firemen, for police officers, for uh, our service workers. So the people working in the hotel, the people working in the restaurant, the people working at the metro stop, the bus driver, all of these people who may be getting priced out of our community, who work with us every day, we need to be thinking much more uh, about that. And um, I would hope that people recognize that there's an opportunity here to take Bob Simon's vision and dream, create genuine open space in perpetuity, but more importantly, work on the Reston 2025 year plan, which was going to require more housing. Talk about that, Steve. How does affordable housing fit into the context of everything else we talked about, the linear park, the conservancy, the village center? How does affordable housing fit in and does it have a place here? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's critical. Um, you're seeing tremendous growth, as we talked about in Reston. A lot of people are focused on, you know, the growth in the technology sector. That's seen a lot of, of advancement, especially in Reston. And I think a lot of people default to thinking about the higher earner, you know, the software engineer and sort of the, the you know, the key player in people's minds. And really the key player is, um, is the staff that's supporting the company, you know, and um, the administrative workers, perhaps the municipal workers, the, you know, emergency medical service people, the hospital worker, the teachers, the firefighters, uh, the police officers, all of those people are being priced out of uh, the opportunity to live in Reston. And uh, that is a big mistake and a big flaw in the broader, you know, the broader Reston area and the broader market. Um, so to be able to address that issue with this project and this parcel of land I think is a huge opportunity and it's not one that can be readily addressed anywhere else in Reston. Um, the, the amount of resources it takes to fill the financial gap in affordable housing, for example, is tremendous just given rising property values. At Reston National Golf Course, there's a huge opportunity to deliver a lot of workforce housing um, and really address a, a major issue. Hey Steve, so tell me a little bit about land rights in Reston and what really exists on the course versus what the misinformation might be that's out there. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that was sort of the, um, the original approach and, and where a lot of time was spent was focusing on the existing zoning rights. That's sort of the ordinary course of any real estate investment. You got to understand the, you know, the, the zoning rights on the property on any given property. In this case, there's legacy zoning rights that are in place from really the late 60s uh, and, and even in 1971 and the, the three zoning cases that are, are applicable to the course. Um, the course was zoned at the time residential plan community, RPC, and then it later was, was designated planned residential community, which is what it is today. And that is a zoning that allows for medium density residential. Um, there are two areas uh, in particular on the site that have those zoning rights in place. 
And that was the original thinking. And, and the original business plan was to uh, create a plan that would address a lot of these issues that we're talking about, but really, you know, to take the 18 hole course perhaps and um, turn it into something more relevant as we see this sort of trend and obsolescence of 18 hole courses. But the, 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 you know, the existing zoning rights do afford the ability to, uh, to build medium density residential on the site. The plan that, that we're talking about today, it's, um, it's a great opportunity to really address a lot of issues and reposition this course in a, in a really meaningful way. But, um, but again, you know, if the, if the community is supportive of that, that would be a great outcome. Um, but the alternative plan is, you know, is, is out there as well. And, and if there's no other options, uh, if the community doesn't want to see this um, play out that way, then, then the alternative, of course, would be to, you know, to rely on the existing zoning rights and develop a plan that way. So before we wrap up, I just want to you know talk on one more thing that we mentioned quickly earlier. Scott, you talked about all your work in uh, philanthropy and specifically, you know, more of a partnership than philanthropy with Cornerstones. I know you're very proud of that work and uh, eager to do as much as possible with them. Talk about some of the work that you've done, um, not you know, in the Reston community with Cornerstones in particular. We you know we hosted the 50th anniversary party this fall, um, and then you've had other projects where you've you know given out PPE to community members or uh, school supplies or, or other things. So just talk about some of that work in the Reston community quickly. Yeah, thank you. So when we go into a neighborhood, something like Reston, what we're doing is we're thinking about where are those places that we can build relationships that are meaningful uh, and that the first part of any um, going into any community or making friends with someone is how can you be helpful to them? So as we looked at it, we, we began – engaging with different groups and found that Cornerstones probably has the greatest level of shared values as to our organization. Uh, they're very focused on affordable housing. They have an affordable housing development arm. Uh, they are very focused on uh, homeless shelter, which they run. Again, focused on uh, the, the, the great need of different levels of uh, housing and um, the way people are living. They're also very focused on uh, one of the most interesting thing was their coat drive, you know, winter coat drive. And we thought, well, shoot, we're a golf course. We have people coming in, you know, uh, by the hundreds every day. I'll bet we can shake them down for their, you know, uh, old coats and uh, old winter winter gloves and hats. And uh, we did, uh, working with um, uh, Supervisor Alcorn's uh, organization. And we delivered the most uh, winter coats uh, of any uh, coat drive they've had working with Cornerstones. Um, the other thing we saw was uh, during COVID, um, myself, I have kids in school like many of us do and recognize that um, this, this whole thing about going, you know, working from home and schooling from home just does not work for people who do not have just the basics of a, not just the computer, but the, the pencils and the pens and the aspects that are needed. So we began uh, working both in Baltimore City and then in, with Cornerstones in Reston, Virginia, on providing um, literally school supplies. Uh, that that morphed into when the world realized that there's not enough uh, personal protective equipment, uh, Mark Weller and myself uh, you know, jumped in and we began building, uh, uh, getting PPE, both donated from our friends, uh, buying it ourselves, 
uh, and then working with Cornerstones and our communities uh, and our companies to put together um, packages that could be given to homeless people or people in distress. So, you know, Cornerstones is a tremendous, there's so many great uh, community groups in Reston that we could mention, uh, but Cornerstones seemed to be the one that, um, you know, we could, we could activate the soonest and had the greatest, you know, had shared values with us. I think playing off what Scott has said around doing a lot of listening and then strategically partnering with all of the right uh, philanthropic groups inside Reston has given us a real head start and a unique advantage to get to know what's going on and what's needed. Uh, we've been doing philanthropy around the United States for years, and a lot of the philanthropy we do isn't just about straight philanthropy. It's about helping providing technical services or providing some kind of expertise to help the groups that we're working with advance their cause. So we find that really unique. There's an incredible uh, network of philanthropic groups providing services and so on inside Reston and inside Fairfax County that we're starting to partner with that we think we can really take one and one and turn it into four or five or six each time when we have some kind of shared goal uh, based on the values of the community we're working in. So we're really excited about that. No, that's great. And I think uh, for our listeners who are interested in learning more about any of the things we've talked about, we did have a podcast. Our second podcast in this entire series was about our work in the community. So if you want to go back and listen to that and some of the coalition building that we did as a company, feel free to go back and listen to that uh, interview with Mark Brody and Mark Weller. And also we did a great uh, podcast over the last month about affordable housing. So if you want to learn a lot of the intricacies about that, go ahead and listen to that podcast with Steve Siegel and myself and Mark Brody as well. So a lot of, uh, a lot to be learned there for some of us. So, uh, so that brings us to the end of this podcast. Scott, thanks so much for being on and talking rest. And this was really interesting. Thank you, Matt, Mark, Steve. Thank you for coming, Scott. A lot of fun. That's it for today's episode with Scott Plank about his work in rest in Virginia. Thank you so much to Scott Plank for being here. And thank you so much to you for listening. We'd love to hear from our audience on topics you want us to discuss. So just hit us up on social at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'm Matt Rienzo, and he's Mark Weller. Keep building, people.